This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Defense Department was just as exposed as anyone else to the global scale cyber vulnerabilities involving SolarWinds and Microsoft Exchange software. But even after months of probing their own networks for signs of compromise, defense officials say it looks as though they dodged a bullet. As Federal News Network's Jared Serboot reports, there are no signs that foreign hackers managed to actually make use of those cyber flaws. Testifying this week before the Senate Armed Services Committee, David McCune, DOD's Chief Information Security Officer, shed some new light on DOD's potential exposure to the SolarWinds hack. He says the department had been running 1,500 instances of the company's Orion software. Out of those, 560 were running a version that included a backdoor inserted by hackers suspected to be working for the Russian government. But McCune says none of the department's sensors have shown any indication that the backdoor was actually ever utilized before the vulnerability was found and the potential entry point was closed. In a few instances, we sent out hunt teams to do a more thorough examination to make sure uh, and To date, no compromise. The same is true for vulnerabilities on Microsoft's Exchange server platform. Although the military is almost exclusively reliant on Exchange for its email services, McKeon says it's found no evidence that those vulnerabilities were ever successfully used by would-be intruders. We quickly enumerated that. Focusing on those uh, servers that were public-facing, there were very few that were, uh, but we quickly patched those and, and found no indicators of compromise. The operations associated with them are still ongoing. We're keeping that open. We've been working with both vendors on the patches and deploying those. We have, I think, finished all of our work as far as hunting, going out there where we thought maybe compromise existed. We are certainly, uh, if somebody in the community comes up with more indicators of compromise, as soon as we get those, we, we check it across the environment. So I would say it's going to be ongoing for some time. If it turns out to be the case that DOD truly did dodge the potential implications of both of those serious vulnerabilities, it will largely be because of improvements the department has made in recent years to how it commands and controls its disparate IT networks. That's according to Rob Joyce, the Director of Cybersecurity at the National Security Agency. Although DOD's visibility over its own networks is still far from perfect, it at least has the ability to order the military services and defense agencies to fix cyber problems quickly via directives from U.S. Cyber Command and Joint Force Headquarters DOD Information Networks. I think we should be very proud that we weren't the victims of that exploitation. Um, and, And it is because of the efforts the department has made over the last several years to increase the agility and responsiveness of the, uh, the, the operators inside the networks. So a few things have been done. The consolidation of the capabilities um, to defend the Doden gave us what is um, a huge advantage in speed to be able to order the modification and protection changes necessary for any specific threat. It also gave a hierarchy to report back the state of activities. So, for instance, when there's a vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange, there can be a cascaded order to go down to, say, issue the patch and run these checks to find out if you're exploited and report back up. You have to know your network to defend your network, and the changes the departments has has been making, they have 
really up the bar in the ability to know the network, which directly translates in the ability to keep people out. But even if the solar winds and Microsoft vulnerabilities don't appear to have been successfully exploited, the mere fact that they were present on DoD networks for an indeterminate period of time only adds urgency to the department's push to move its security posture from one that's focused on defending the perimeters of its networks to a true zero-trust model. In February, DoD officials approved an initial reference architecture to start implementing zero-trust across all of their networks. Networks. They're now revising their broader cybersecurity plans to incorporate those principles. As a general matter, the concept assumes that vulnerabilities exist on military networks and intruders are already inside, so additional steps need to be taken to make sure they can't move laterally from system to system once those attackers have gained a foothold. Again, David McCune. Our access management system will determine if the user attempting to access the network with that device is behaving unusually Uh, using non-standard credentials, attempting to access from a location where they do not normally work or at a time when they are not normally in the office. All of these processes will be centrally monitored by an automated system. If something does not match up, our system will automatically challenge the user and machine to provide additional credentials and other verification. Access to the network beyond that device will be blocked and sensitive data will remain safely encrypted. The events associated with the attack will be constantly tracked and our human defenders will be notified so they can monitor suspicious behaviors. Alert the local network operator of potential attack and take additional actions to repel and deter the attacker. The department has conducted at least two large-scale zero-trust pilot programs so far, one each in 2019 and 2020. DOD is constructing a third planned for this year, which will focus on what defense officials say will be a cyber-contested environment involving regional adversaries. We will also continue to engage with Congress, federal civilian departments and agencies, the private sector, and our allies to promote a whole-of-community unified defense. We view the DOD as a leader and partner in this implementation of a zero-trust framework and a pioneer of the cyber capabilities that make such a framework possible. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, 
Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation, uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. 
Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.